And the same thing is true today. Uh, Jesus Christ stands ready to give pardon and to give peace to anyone who comes to him. And yet we're in a house of bread and yet people leave here still hungry. We're by the river of life and yet people still walk out thirsty. We're filled with despair and yet this is the place of house of loving kindness. The feast is prepared, the invitations are sent out. Why don't folk come? Why, why don't people come to Jesus? In Baltimore, I was reading an illustration of some evangelists that were there. They had some great services and after the service one night and after meeting, a young lady came up who was a school teacher and she told the pastor there that she wanted to be saved but she just couldn't. And so the pastor went to tell the evangelist that, said this young lady wants to be saved but she can't. And the evangelist immediately said that's impossible. If she wants to be saved, she can be saved. The problem is she thinks she wants to be saved. She left mad but came back in a couple of days and said, you were right. I had things in my life that I didn't want to give up. And when I gave those things up, suddenly Jesus, I wanted him more than anything else. And she was saved. Now, could I just remind you this morning that you're as close to God as you want to be. You say, well, the Lord hasn't spoken. Well, that's not his fault. That's your fault. We're as close to the Lord this morning. Our God requires, he wants to have intimate fellowship with us. And yet, most of the time, we want to just skirt by. We don't want to get involved. There's still the grace of God that bringeth salvation. The Bible says has appeared to all men. You want to be saved this morning? You can be saved this morning. Or you can walk out of this place and not be saved but it's your free will to do that. Wouldn't it be great if there was a place that you could come where you could get peace? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if there's a place you could come where you could be healed? There is. Now, it's not Good Shepherd or regional. It's not in the things of this world. It's in the gathering of the house of God. Amen. I know this building's just sheetrock and everything, but I want to tell you, and Brother Case has already mentioned it, we, we live in a good state, thank God, that uh, our governor at least has said churches are exempt. The, the plan of God is more important than anything else. And actually, churches are exempt from anything. We're, we're, we're not required to do anything. I would hasten to tell you this, though, because I, I, I don't like a lot of what's going on. I don't like to wear seatbelts. My wife has to remind me every time we get it, fasten your seatbelt. The little ding, ding, ding bothers her. Don't bother me. It goes ding, ding, ding. Jesus loves me. This I know. And I just go right on. I, I, I don't necessarily, I don't know whether these masks are going to help anybody or not. I don't know. If I err, though, I want to err on the side of safety and grace. So what I told our staff, we're, we're going to wear these things, not because we have to, but because we want to. I, I want to protect you. I want to help you. So preacher, it won't do no good. Well, 
we don't know that. We don't know anything. I mean, we, and it seems like the more they try to explain it, the less they know. I'm not talking about us wood people down here out of the woods. I'm talking about people that's got PhDs and, and, and medicine and science. They don't know no more than you know. They absolutely don't. But I would just say, I think we're the kind of church that if somebody was walking down an aisle here and they fell down over there, somebody would get up and go help them get up. You say, no, they didn't have no business walking down the aisle. <laughs> That's a stinking attitude. We, we need to, to go the second mile. Remember what Jesus said when they come and they said, hey, we want your coat. Go ahead and give them your coat and go ahead and give them your outer coat too. When they want you to walk a mile, you go ahead and walk a mile and then walk two miles. Out in California, there are churches this morning. They're meeting. I don't know what's going to happen to them, but they're going to meet and I want to tell you, we're going to meet too. Hebrews 10, 25 tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And as much as I love uh, live cast and all of this junk that we're doing, I mean, it's good stuff. Ain't nothing like being in the house of God with God's people. Ain't nothing like that. Well, y'all got me all fired up now. All right. <laughs> Let's, let's dissect this. Would you notice with me this morning the comparison of the multitude? The Bible says there was a sheep market there and there's a multitude of people there. There are all kinds of people there. They're there waiting. They're, they're blind. They're, they're impotent. They're halt. They're withered. And they're waiting there for the moving. Listen to me. I want you to understand this morning there is a difference in being physically sick and being spiritually sick. And the truth is, if you had the choice to either be spiritually whole or physically whole, bless God, you better choose a spiritually whole. Because I want to tell you, everlasting life is a long time. It's a long time. You can be physically healed and still go to a place called hell. But I want to tell you, is when you get spiritually healed and the Lord comes in, they're, they're of all kinds. And, and they're not all alike. They're not all alike. Read my bulletin article this week. I know some of y'all never do that, but read that this week. There's different kinds of people in this world that need Jesus, and we need to tell them about Jesus. We ought to be sharing that with them. Jesus spoke in John 4, 35. He said, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white already unto harvest. Well, we need to be praying for South Texas I, Talked with some this morning down there that had their, they're, they're ready to start picking cotton tomorrow and this hurricane comes through. Uh, it, it's, it's just a mess. It's a mess. Don't you say there's going to come a time when we may have a harvest. Jesus said, look out among you. The harvest is already here. It's white right now to harvest. It's nothing new. And then these were uh, impotent, blind, hog. There, there's no worse condition that a man who is strangled by the chains of sin there's no worse condition to be strangled to want to be able to breathe and have freedom and yet Satan deceive you the man who lives without Christ is the most needful man on the face of the earth but then there's an anticipation here this multitude they're all gathered around there and I love it. 
when, when I was growing up, uh, Brother Dale will remember these times uh, when the liberals almost took over everything we had as far as Southern Baptists. We've about flushed them out of all the seminaries. I think now we've got another chore to do. But anyway, uh, w when I was growing up, uh, lots of Baptist professors and all didn't believe the Bible was the Word of God. They thought it had error in it. And this was one of the passages that they kept going to. They would say, everybody knows that every pool that was ever built was a rectangle that had four sides, and yet the Bible said this one had five porches. See, the Bible's wrong. It's error. Until they started digging it up. And along about 1986, 87, somewhere in there like that, they discovered that on this pool here of Bethesda, there was a porch in the middle that divided it. The fifth porch. You go ahead and try to make the word of God wrong if you want to. I'm telling you, when all the smoke clears, this word is true. It is without error. Without error. And I will go ahead and add the other thing too. It's all we need. It's all sufficient right here. Their anticipation. We live in a world of hurting people. They're, they're scared. People today are scared to death. People that I thought had a backbone of iron, they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. What was that? <laughs> Lord, if it's you, just come on. <laughs> Amen. Hmm. Jesus walked among this crowd. He walked in there. He was unrecognized. Nobody called for him. Nobody welcomed him there. Nobody sought after him. You said, well, they didn't know who he was. Well, what about when he went over to this man and he said, rise, take up your bed and walk, and people's all around him there. W wouldn't you have thought, well, bless God, he's better than the pool. Forget the pool of Bethesda. Let's get a hold of this guy. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Jesus was in the midst, but they never recognized him. He's got the power to heal all, and yet they didn't call on him. He's in our midst today, too. He's the great physician, spiritually and physically. So there's a multitude here, and then there's a condition of the man. He'd been sick here 38 years. He's so crippled that he can't even roll himself down to get to the pool there, to, the, to Bethesda. Boy, there have been people who today who are sickened and crippled from sin for many years and Satan has believed uh, that he can de derail you and deceive you. And there are people today sitting in this very auditorium today that you feel like life is probably not worth living. That's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the devil. Never let the devil deceive you into thinking your life is not worth living. I'm telling you, when you come to Jesus, and here's the important thing here. If God's spoken to you about salvation, don't put it off. Don't put it off. It, there, there, don't let the devil. It, it's clear this man didn't get any better 38 years later than he did 38 years before. 38 years he's laying there. Now, we don't know if he was born that way or if he had an accident when he was 20, we, we have no idea. We just know for 38 years he's been paralyzed. 38 years. He answered and said, Sir, I have no man when the water's troubled to put me in the pool. See, that's a, 
That's, that's a lot of the ways the world is today. You younger people, uh, we adults have lied to you because our adults lied to us. We tell our children, sin is not fun. That's the craziest one statement I ever heard in my life. Some of my biggest time was stealing watermelons. You tell me that wasn't fun? Sin is fun, but it only lasts for a season. That's the thing we need to understand. Sure, you, the Clydesdale horses and all, they look so wonderful down there. All these people in bathing suits selling this beer and all this liquor and stuff, it all looks wonderful. Why don't you go out here on Saturday night when the kids are laid out on the side of the road with a body bag over their head and tell me how wonderful it looked then. Yeah, you can have fun with sin, but it doesn't last. It will destroy you. The devil doesn't want you to find help in Jesus. He'll find, already this morning, some of you, God is saying, you need to be saved. I'm touching you. You're, and you're looking around saying, well, I see that person over there, and they did that to me over here, and she did that to me over here. Mm. And you'll walk out the same way you walked in. That's how the devil wants it. It's a distressful condition. He said, while I'm coming, another steps down before me. He couldn't make it to the pool himself. Imagine his condition, desperately trying to just roll over to get into that pool just to see somebody else step into it somewhere around the area there before he got to. Mm. Man can try everything this world's got to offer and it's not gonna work outside of Jesus. I'll... I got to say, we, we looked at the comparison of multitude. They're all there and they all got different kinds of problems. And then we looked at the condition of the man. He's been sick for 38 years. There's no help. In the, but then I want you just to think with me a moment about the compassion of the master. The Bible says Jesus walked right over to him. <laughs> what you spend half your life trying to cover up, the Lord already knows. He knows where you are this morning. He knows what sin you're mixed up into. He knows where the victory is for you. He already knows all that. The Bible says that, that he came to him when Jesus saw him lie. Squire Parsons sings a song, he came to me. When I could not go to where he was, he came to me. I'm thankful for other salvations and people who've been saved over the years, but I'll tell you more than anything else, I'm thankful that as a little old boy, Jesus came to me. He came to me and saved me. Wretched, lost, pitiful condition. Salvation of others is wonderful, but it's nothing compared to yours when you know Jesus saved you. So he came to him, and then he cared for him. When Jesus saw him lie and knew he had been down a long time in that case, in Fort... Uh, Verse 14 in that same chapter. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and he said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Now, folks, what that does, it shoots down easy believism. You think you can just say this little worded prayer and everything and then walk out of here the same way you came in? You're wrong. When Jesus comes in, there's going to be a change in your life. You're not going to leave the same way you came in. 
He's going to put a step, a pep in your step. I mean, it's going to be good. He came to him. He cared for him. And then he asked him a question. <laughs> Would you be made whole? Let me ask you that this morning. If you're here today and you're lost without Christ, would you be saved today? I mean, you know that's what you need. Would you be saved? Why do you ask a guy who's a, been paralyzed 38 years, would you be made whole? Yeah, I want to be made whole. But see, you've been focusing on the pool. Jesus speaks today, still calling lost sinners to repentance. Will thou be made whole? Healing is found in Jesus. And then he immediately changed him. Verse 8 and 9, rise up, take up your bed, walk. Immediately, the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was a Sabbath. Mm. I don't have time this morning to preach, but there's a fourth point here I'd like to get in. i just throw it in just for the heck of it. All of them start with C, but that fourth point would be criticism. Rather than these guys excited that Jesus healed a man, they're criticizing him because he healed on the Sabbath. Now let me tell you, Jesus is still Lord of the Sabbath. He's still Lord. Now, their idea was he created heaven and earth in six days and then the Lord rested. When the Lord rested, it didn't mean he still wasn't working with other folk. He don't take a break. He's always available. He rested from creation, but he's still speaking to men and women and children and young people even right now. On the Sabbath, he's still speaking. He said three things here, and I'm through. He said, rise. That's a call to faith. Did you understand the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God? Rise, he said. It's ironic that the Lord did not heal the man first and then tell him to rise. He told him to rise and then he healed him. Hmm. I've preached this before, but I'll remind you again, over and over again, blessings only come after obedience. You'll never find in the word of God anywhere where somebody got blessed before they were obedient. When God says do it and you do it, then the blessings come. Now we say, Lord, no, you show us, Lord. We're from Missouri. You show us and then we'll do it. God says, no, it don't work like that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He said, rise. That's a call to his faith. He said that to the guy with a withered hand. He said, stretch forth. And the man whose hand was withered and he could not stretch forth his hand, he stretched forth his hand. And God healed him. He said that to Lazarus. He'd been dead four days. He came here. He's dead. And Jesus said, come forth. And lo and behold, the one who was dead came forth. And that's when he said, loose the rags from him. He's all right. The sinner is helpless. He's strengthless. He's dead in sins. But Christ says, arise. Stretch forth your faith. Don't fear. Come forth. Mm. Then he said, take up your bed. Arise is the call to faith. Take up the bed is the call to living in victory. 
James says it like this. If a man say that I have faith and have not worked, can faith save him? The fact is that the man who says he has faith and has not works, in reality, has no faith. Without works, faith is dead, being alone. You say, preacher, you're getting real close to work salvation. No, I'm not. No, the works come after the salvation. But if you tell me you got saved and you hadn't done anything for Jesus in the last 30 years, I'll just tell you straight out right, you better do some examination. Something, something ain't right. Something don't smell right there. Christ healed the man sick of the palsy. You remember when they four of them let, it, let him down there and he said, thy sins be forgiven thee and the scribes and Pharisees begin to mock him. Say, so, well, anybody can say that. And the Bible says that the son of man so the world would know that he was the son of man. He said, rise, take up your bed and go thy way into thy house. Can you see that man taking up his bed and then wanting to be angry at Jesus? Why do I have to pick up my bed, Jesus? Won't you let somebody else do that? No. That was part of the healing. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And he picked up his bed and walked. And got out. I imagine he's doing a little shouting in there too and a little leaping too. I would figure that kind of went in there. You see, faith is an active, living thing. The, the lame and the halt and the blind, they all believed but they're not by faith. They're not living anything. You go to Hebrews 11 in that chapter of faith, you're going to find by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham. Every one of the heroes of the faith, they did something, they believed something, and they did something. They possessed a living faith. It's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. It's much more difficult to actually live it. And then he said, walk. Mm. Arise, faith. Walk, victory. Uh, uh, take up thy bed, that was victory. And then he said, walk. What, what does that mean? That means our everyday life, we ought to be living for Jesus. I'll be honest with you. You know, we, this is a church, we've, we've majored on visitation, knocking on doors, Folks, those days may be over. They may be over. I don't know if I see somebody knocking on my door that I don't know who they are. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant with the pandemic to open the door and let anybody in. Those days may be over. So let me tell you what Matthew really says in that Great Commission. When you diagnose it and you really get down to the, to the verbiage of it, it says... As you are going, make disciples. You see, some of you love the Lord. You've been at jobs, and your people around you don't even know you're saved. You say, I can't be saved. I saw him throw a fit. No, as we're going day by day, we're going to have to make disciples. We're going to have to win people to Jesus Christ. There are billions of people around this world seeking salvation through religions that can't save anybody. You can go to Asia. The Buddhists there are offering sacrifices. They're spinning prayer wheels. They're going through other religious rituals all in hopes of getting nirvana. Quasi-Buddhists here in East Texas, they're flying prayer flags in the hopes that it's going to bring them good karma. Hindu men at the temple of K2 
Kathmandu who think that by looking weird and meditating that they're going to get salvation for it. In China, if you're, if you're riding in a taxi in China and it gets to sundown, that taxi driver stops that car with you still in it, gets out his little prayer rug, heads toward Mecca and does his praying and then gets back in the car thinking that's going to bring him salvation. Mm. I've seen Orthodox folks in Romania weep as they pray to an icon. Brother Alan, I'm sure, has seen the same thing there. I've seen Roman Catholics kneel before statues of Jesus and Mary and pray and count rosary beads in their attempt to be right with God. And let's just go ahead and cut the chase and be honest. I've seen people sitting in Baptist churches that think just because they sat in a church or just because their mama was a saved person there that they're all right too. I'm telling you, no religion will get you to heaven. None. Baptist, I don't care what it is, not going to get you to heaven. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. I, uh, I was going to touch a while ago on criticism. That was that fourth seat. I don't have time this morning. <laughs> but they're not excited that the guy's healed. They're criticizing him because he did it on the Sabbath. In these days ahead, more and more people. Now, I, I've been in this ministry now 49 years. And I used to could say, and I've said this many times, People in churches have dealt me more misery than people outside of churches. I've said that. But we're living in days now where evil is running rampant. And people outside of the church, people who are living in darkness, are trying to destroy the Christian life that we know it today. And I'm telling you right now, I know none of us are perfect in this place. But this is the time if the church ever pulled together and said, we're going to walk together, we're going to pray together, we're going to serve together, this is the time we need to do that. Because the foe outside is not just bent on stirring up something, they're bent on destroying Christian life as we know it. Jesus is the answer. Would you be made whole? Would you be saved this morning? Now, I know I've talked to a lot of folk who've been saved, and that's, that's good. That's great. But what about those who are saved? Is there anybody here that's got a friend that's not? Is there anybody here that's got a parent or a sibling, and they're not saved? You know what we've not seen in our churches in years? Used to, these altars would be full in churches. And people wasn't just coming down to pray for a toe ache. They were weeping over the souls of lost people. You say, well, I, I've got friends that are lost, but I really don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle it. Well, the first thing you do would be get on your face before God, share some tears, and weep over them. That'd be the first step. You can't go wrong doing that. But just like those folk, who walk out of here without Jesus, there'll be Christians who are sitting right here saying, yeah, it's not a bad idea, preacher, but I'll do that next Sunday. 
Would you be made whole? Father, this morning in this service, you know every one of us. We can try to cover things up if we want to, but you know every detail about each one of us. I ask you, Lord Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? God, those that need to be saved, Lord, may today be their day of salvation. God, don't, don't let them go another day without Jesus. I pray this morning, not only for those who need to be saved, but for those of us who are saved. God, would you let the Holy Spirit burden our heart for lost people? We've seemed to forget. We just act like nothing's wrong and everything's all right. In reality, folks are dying all around us, lost in their sin. Oh God, wake us up as a church. Show us what you want us to do. Help us to be the people of God that you want us to be. Lord, we're going to praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Would you stand? Brother Darren leads us in this music. You come. These altars are open. Brother Case and I are here. You come.